Drax is the largest provider of renewable electricity in the UK and plays a critical role in ensuring a secure energy system. The company has plans to invest billions in new infrastructure, such as bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, which will create thousands of jobs, whilst also delivering the energy needed by homes and businesses up and down the UK. Discover more at Drax.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, The Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Oscar Edmondson and I'm joined today by James Hill and Isabel Hartman. Uh, now, conference season has come to a close after Labour's yearly conference in Liverpool ended on Wednesday, and uh, we thought we'd do a little run-through of the winners and losers from this conference season. But maybe just to start with, James, there's been some polling out today in The Times on Rishi Sunak's post-conference approval ratings, and, and they make for pretty grim reading for the Prime Minister, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, this is the first poll that's been out, snap polling since uh, the two conferences for both leaders. And Rishi Sunak's popularity has now fallen to a record low. YouGov put that uh, only 20% of voters think that he would now be the best prime minister, down five points in a week. And that's the lowest approval rating he's had since entering number 10 a year ago this month. Of course, though, it's not, I mean, it's not completely good news for Labour. Um, Sakir Starmer's rating fell by two points to 32%, uh, which, of course, would suggest that having seen both men on the big stage for a fortnight, they thought actually neither of those two (laughs) and uh, don't know or um, uncertainty meant that 43% of voters would vote for them. So that would be a a good comfortable majority come the next election. Uh, But really, I think, you know, we're talking here about the winners and losers of the conference season. And leaving aside kind of fluctuations, etc. I think a number of Tory MPs were hoping that Rishi Sunak could really make this his big moment. Talking to one a couple of days beforehand, who said this is the sort of sink or swim moment for the Prime Minister. And I don't think he has cut through in the kind of way he wants, it, wants to. The YouGov poll that's out today suggests that Labour's lead, if anything, has increased to 23% from 20% before. And really what the Prime Minister needs to see, because even that there's a year away from an election, we think, within a year, he needs to start seeing really big cuts in that Labour lead. We thought perhaps after that next scenario speech, he might be able to get some, but it now looks as though he hasn't been able to make any headway. And really, all these kind of big except these occasions, the party conference season, the King's speech, the autumn statement, then the budget, needs to start making inroads into that Labour lead uh, because he's running out of few opportunities. And every day that we spend talking about which is having a bad day is one less day when he wants to be on the front foot attacking Labour. So I think that he will be that that the initial reaction it seems hasn't been as favourable as some in number ten like. Of course it is just one poll. But really I think that as I say, there wasn't the kind of game changer that some in number ten were hoping it could perhaps have been. Mm. And Isabel, I wondered what you thought of Rishi Sunak's conference and perhaps how it compared to Keir Starmer's. Uh, Rishi's position didn't exactly look secure. I mean, some of his Conservative front bench looked a, a bit like they'd given up, and others like Kemi Badenoch and Suella Braverman looked like they were laying the groundwork for life after Rishi with, with leadership bids of their own. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's two problems. One is is potentially a, a Rishi Sunak problem, um, a personal problem, and the other is just uh, the perception problem of a party that did really seem, from the conference, to to be thinking about life after an election defeat. And so no matter how focused and appealing the Prime Minister may or may not have been, to have the party behind him largely talking about something else really annoys voters. And you know, if you compare the two conferences, it felt like they were operating not so much in different time zones, but in different years. 
and that this Conservative conference was taking place in 2026 after they'd lost the election and that this Labour conference was the last conference before a general election. And so I think that probably had something to do with it. And actually, you know, this this was supposed to be Rishi Sunak's big vision or part of his big vision autumn, where he gives a vision of, of the next, you know, the, as, as he sees it, the next five years of Tory government after an election victory. But what he ended up announcing wasn't, I mean, it, you know, he claimed that he was going to come along and end the 30-year consensus in politics, but then didn't tackle any of the big issues. And I think Starmer really benefited from that. And you saw lots of, you know, conservative-leaning columnists uh, last week, or this week, sorry, in Labour, saying, well, you know, all credit to him, Keir Starmer is actually proposing to do something on house building, which means that voters who the Tories might have been able to, if not bank on, at least expect to come their way soon, will start to think, well, you know, this party's offering us nothing. Labour's actually promising to tackle the thing that is making our life more expensive and, you know, for a lot of people in terms of being able to, you know, have a family or feel like their family is going to have a home and they're not going to have to move out of every 18 months, you know, offer them a sort of future. So I think, you know, I think if you're looking at a conference that actually reflected the reality, I think to be fair to Labour, and I haven't said this for a very long time because Labour's conferences have for about a decade not reflected reality in any way, shape or form, the Labour conference, you know, did do that, uh, whereas the Conservative conference was much more, it wasn't even a kind of conference of mourning about their loss. It was like they'd moved on. And they were like, right, come on, time to, you know, learn how to live life after grief sort of thing. Yeah, I think that looking back now, contrasting the two speeches, it was interesting. Rishi Sunak was announced three or four sort of headline policies and was very much into the kind of you know, reason that. But I think it just lacked an overall theme. I'm reminded of Churchill's criticism of the dessert. He said he wants this pudding, take this pudding away, it has no theme. Basically <laughs> being a sort of lifeless point. And it, it was quite a sort of, it was a speech really without a kind of any sort of structure or, or theme behind it. And yeah. I think that was the, I, I, I think that was perhaps, I think a few days on, I think the immediate reaction, the whole reaction liked it. I thought it was a decent enough speech. We said so at the time on Coffee House Shots. But I think that it was just interesting to contrast that with Starmer who, you know, last year there was the great rabbit out the hat, which was the uh, the energy announcement of yep. the company he was planning to do. This year was more sort of restressing previous themes and really sort of doubling down on the house building, which he's um, and making that much more central part of it. I, I think overall, you know, going into it, I, I just think that Tories really needed a, a good kind of you know, three 0 win on this, and they just didn't get that, unfortunately for them. Yeah, and Isabel, I mean, I personally thought that the um, the best speech that was given over conference season was Rachel Reeves's speech. And and you said as much in a blog that you wrote for Coffee House saying that it was one of the best political speeches in recent years. The past looked very disciplined and the shadow cabinet looked like they were growing in confidence. But Rachel Reeves's speech was a sort of standout moment, I think, and maybe the cherry on top. It it, it was a pudding with a theme. Um, <laughs> just to continue the the pudding chat to make everyone a bit peckish. Um, and that was her Securonomics, which again, we've, you know, we've heard a lot about, including in the pages of The Spectator, when Katie interviewed her. And it was a very energetic speech. It was a passionate speech. Um, It was a slightly scary speech, if you were a member of the Shadow Cabinet, because she was basically saying, if you come anywhere near me asking for money, I will kick you all the way back down Whitehall. And it was quite funny watching the reactions on the faces of the Shadow Cabinet, some of whom looked a little bit like they were quietly wetting their pants, because, you know, they, they do have this dilemma of, 
crumbling public services and a shadow treasury team that's saying that well, you're going to have to work out a way of improving them without shed loads of money. So that was a, you know, it was a very interesting speech. And actually watching Keir Starmer, I can't read inside his mind. It would be quite useful if I could save me a lot of, a lot of, a lot of contact work working out what he thinks. But I, I sort of sensed that he was looking at her thinking, wow, she's really, really good. And they don't have tensions between them. But you could also see him thinking, I've got to give a speech tomorrow. And, uh, you know, he's he's he is not known for, for being energetic. I mean, that said, he did, you know, he I think we thought he did give a, a pretty good speech, particularly given he was doused with glitter as he tried to get going with it, which actually gave him, I think, a, an advantage. But, um, you know, she is, she is the other standout member of the Shadow Cabinet and really the speeches at the Labour conference were choreographed for that to be the case. On the last day, you have Wes Streeting doing his NHS reform stuff, which was really interesting. Bridget Phillipson, again, education reform, although as we've discussed on a previous podcast, much less ambitious in its in its scope. But the other speeches in the hall, were, they're very limited throughout the week in, in terms of really the, the amount of space they took up, but also what they announced, which is by and large nothing. I think just to also contrast on the Rachel Reese point, I, I would agree. I think she probably, of all the kind of front benches on both sides, had for me the most impressive kind of conference season. And I think it's worth and, and perhaps quite instructive as to the two parties' fortunes by contrasting the the focus on her speech with uh, the rather low energy, low attention efforts of Jeremy Hunt, who frankly, which of those two, if you took away the names and titles, you contrast what they said, and who, which of those are expecting to charter the fortunes of the British economy in the latter half of the 2020s? Uh, I think there's only one answer there. Yeah. And, and Isabel, I did want to ask you about what you thought about some of the things that were left out. We've had some sort of noises just, just before conference about Labour potentially renegotiating a deal with the EU. But in Keir Starmer's speech, he, he, I think he only mentioned Brexit once and and sort of didn't touch that issue. Why, why do you think that was? Yeah, I mean, he didn't talk about immigration either. In fact, immigration was this non-existent topic at Labour conference generally, which is fascinating given their voters are as agitated about it as Conservative voters are. Um, and, you know, you see that in the polls, but also uh, anecdotally from doorstep conversations, even voters on the left are agitated about this for, for different reasons to, to sort of, you know, either old Labour or Conservative voters who, who are angry about the numbers, but they're angry just about the way in which the government's handling the immigration system. So it's, you know, it is it is highly salient, um, but it wasn't discussed. And the other thing, and I, I mean, I, I suspect I myself will be at the age, the grand age where I'm needing social care, and this will still be the case. That one talked about social care. And, you know, if you're going to talk about NHS reform, I just don't think you could talk about NHS reform without talking about social care and on this hobby horse I shall ride to my death. (laughs) And James, just to finish up, you have had the enormous pleasure of going to all four party conferences this year. Yes, and I I think you've got the SNP this weekend, of course, we should not forget. Uh, Of of those five, I mean, I think the SNP will probably have the worst out of those five I went to. Um, I think it's worth reflecting on the sort of minor parties here and the interesting kind of contrast between the Greens and Lib Dems, both of whom I found in pretty good spirits. The Lib Dems, really anti-Tory is now their kind of guiding philosophy. Uh, Ed Davey attacked the Tories 27 times in his speech, just three for Labour. And I think they're they're laser focused on those seats in the South, really, and tackling that blue wall. Interestingly, the Greens, who are going for four seats next time, have quite an equidistant between Labour and the Tories. And there was this line in uh, 
in their co-leader speech, when she talked about uh, Carla Dunia's speech, where she talked about uh, equally as disappointed in Labour as she was in the Tories. Mm. And so, you know, that's a reflection of the fact that they're trying to be to the left of Labour, sitting on the environmental issues and, and others as well. They're kind of, you know, they, they, they sort of despair of how Labour seems to be in their sort of view, cozying up to big business. That's trying to, that's a reflection of how they're trying to go for things like Bristol Central, which are those top four seats, uh, where they've now got more Green councillors in Bristol than Labour and Bristol City Council. Um, but also they're trying to go for that kind of communitarian conservative vote. Um, what kind of one nation sort of Oxfordshire vote as well. And that's a reflection in where she, they're targeting Waveney Valley, which is on the Norfolk Suffolk border. So they both had good conferences, I'd say. I'd say probably all, out of all the four I went to, I'd say probably Labour and was the most kind of sense of not a sense of both the faith, party faithful but also the kind of broader you know all the attendees etc emerged the most positive i think the lib dems the the party leadership was very pleased with how it went i think the activists wanted a bit more on europe my sense of the greens was it was very difficult because it's such an activist party there was one bit where they they wanted everyone to stand up who was a councillor mm. and over half the room stood up because <laughs> they were or effectively that because there are just so many you know greens they do they've done so well yeah. really but it is still such a an activist base really where everyone who goes there is very much agreeing themselves and i think the I just think that it was it was obviously you know we're near as bad as last year, which uh, you know just contrast for expectations. But I think that in terms of really being able to kind of articulate the narrative or, or try and open up any kind of clear blue water with Labour, there wasn't as much of that as they would like it to be. Though I would think interestingly, the, the lack of any kind of real mention of migration in Keir Starmer's speech would suggest to me that's perhaps one to look at uh, over the coming months and might be something we'd see more of with the King's speech due out next month. Great. Well, thank you, James. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you very much for listening.